I'm glad to see you're all here. Some of you I know might have been here for first service, but it was still, what, third quarter for the Hawks and the Buccaneers, so now that's over and uh, we can move on. I, I told them first service when I was in Bible school, <clears throat> um, I went to a college up in Canada, and of course up there, the big thing is hockey, right? And it was during the, uh, um, oh, what, what's the big one there? Stanley Cup, there you go. Um, one of my uh, teachers had been asked to be a guest speaker at a little church out in the country, and it was right during when the Stanley Cup was going on. And in this church, there'd be like the, whoever the speaker for the morning was, and usually one of the deacons or somebody in the church would sit up on the platform. And so when uh, our, our teacher had gotten up to give his message, there was still this one deacon sitting up on the platform. And during the message, uh, our, our professor noticed that there was a, an usher out in the entryway looking in through this little window in the door, and he's making hand gestures through the door. And all of a sudden, the deacon who's sitting on the platform gets up, comes to the podium, excuses himself, kind of breaks in, and announces the score in the game. And uh, they had a guy sitting in the parking lot listening on the radio to keep them up to date on how the game was going. So... Well, today we're going to be wrapping up this Rooted series we've been going through. And the final topic we're going to look at in this series is why is the church important? We've looked at a whole different parts of the Christian life. And we want to finish up now thinking specifically about why is the church important? Why are all of us together an important part of God's plan? Uh, now, when we talk about the church, there are at least two aspects to that that we think of. The first is the church universal. And by that we mean all Christians everywhere that are part of Christ's body. So the church universal. And, and you, as a follower of Jesus, by default, become part of that church universal. But then there's also the church local. And those are the believers that you gather with, that you're connected with right where you live. And so Dungeness Community Church is one of those church locals. And I find that there are a lot of people that are pretty comfortable with being part of the church universal, but for a variety of reasons, they have never plugged into a church local. They, they agree that the church is part of God's program, that God's called his people to follow him, but they really have not made a commitment to being part of a local fellowship. Uh, Howard Hendricks, uh, the a uh, past professor at Dallas Seminary, um, once compared the church to a football game. He said that there are 22 people on the field badly in need of rest and 40,000 in the stands badly in need of exercise. <laughs> I, I would say the pandemic probably pushed that even one level farther off, and that was you had 40,000 people sitting home watching it online uh, badly in need of exercise. Of course, Hendrick's point in comparing the church to a football game wasn't to affirm that sitting in the stands was a good thing, right? Uh, church, the way God intended it, was never designed to be a spectator sport that just had a few star performers out there on the field. Uh, Burnett and I had a chance to go to a, a Kraken hockey game on Friday night, which was a lot of fun. Uh, one of the things I noticed, we got to the hockey game and there were all kinds of people wearing Kraken jerseys. I mean, there were hundreds, probably thousands of Kraken jerseys there, but I was pretty sure looking at some of these folks that they probably weren't skaters. 
pretty sure they weren't on the team, and yet there they were wearing the jersey. And they were excited, and they were cheering. You know, you would have thought that they were part of the team, but they really weren't. They just liked to hang around the team and root for the team. And, and I was thinking about this whole thing, and it struck me that maybe a better image for the church would be a roller skating rink. Y'all remember roller skating rinks? Did you know that roller skating rinks first became popular in the United States back in the 1880s? I had no idea that that was how far back roller rinks went. And of course, the golden age of roller skating was the 30s through the 50s. But uh, back in the 70s, it came booming back. That was kind of my generation, that roller skating was the hot thing once again. Uh, sadly, it was because disco had come to roller skating. And, and so, yes, Bell Bottoms and the Bee Gees had invaded your local roller rink. Uh, now, now, during the course of the evening, if you went roller skating, you know how it went. The DJ would be playing um, music for the night, skating with the music, and then they'd have these different um, events or different phases. And there'd be like these reader boards that you would see. You have, you have the reader board up there, right? They would tell you what the different event was. And there'd be like the ladies skate. And that was always this kind of beautiful event. It was graceful. Some of the girls, you know, skating backwards and, and doing pirouettes, and that was really nice. And then they would call guy skate, which is a flat-out speed brawl, right? We just go as fast as you could until you creamed into the wall, and that was guy skating. Uh, then there'd be like the hokey pokey. You ever try doing the hokey pokey on roller skates? Oh, that is a disaster, I can just tell you. And, uh, but then the thing that always made you... Uh, kind of nervous, maybe a little bit excited, was when they would call couple skate. Now, if you had a girlfriend, that was okay because you knew who you're gonna skate with. But if you didn't have a girlfriend, but you kind of liked this girl, now it's this thing of like, well, will she skate with me? You know, or will she, or will some other guy skate with her first? And there's all this kind of, you know, teenage angst and drama about the couple skate. And uh, I seriously got set up once on a blind date via couple skating there were these two brothers decided that I was going to skate with their sister. And they just made sure that when they called couple skate, there were no other girls anywhere near me. And she was the only one. And, and she was cute, so it was okay. I didn't object. But um, that, that was one of those things that happened in skating. But there was one other event that happened in the night. And that was all skate. And when they called all skate, you had everybody out there in the rink. You had the fast skaters, you had the folks who had never skated before, you had the backwards skaters, uh, everybody was out there all at once. And it was wild. Do you remember those? I mean, you had to watch out for people. I mean, the fast guys, they're cutting through people and mowing the innocent down. And, um, and so you had to help people up that got knocked over, but, but it was a lot of fun. That was all skate. Now, in a sense, when you became part of God's family, you were handed, you might say, a pair of skates, and you were invited into a rink called the church, and the Holy Spirit said, all skate. Everybody get involved. We started this Rooted series talking about God as the creator. In Genesis, there was only one criticism that God had of his handiwork. And that was when he looked at the man, and he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And it was God himself who declared the first couple skate. He said, I'm gonna make a helper suitable for you. 
But it wasn't very long until God said, you know, it's not just couple skate. In fact, I want you to be fruitful and to make more skaters because it's going to be an all-skate event in my creation. But then we talked about how human sin and selfishness quickly brought chaos to the rink. Adam starts blaming Eve for dragging him down with her lousy skating. And then pretty soon it's their kids. It's Cain who gets jealous of his brother Abel because Abel's got better moves than he does. And, and he actually ends up eliminating his brother out of the rink. And, and pretty soon, in short order, that all skate had turned into roller derby. Uh, the strong trying to knock down the weak. Everyone trying to get ahead. And so human history progressed around and around and around in this never-ending chaos of pushing and shoving and crashing and falling. But then we talked about the fact that not only is God a creator, but he also is a recreator. Jesus came into the chaos and he said, follow me. Let me show you the right way to roll. And step one was giving us a whole new spiritual sense of balance. He gave us his Holy Spirit. And then he called us into a new rink with new rules for skating. He said, really, this is, this is how you're supposed to skate in my rink, in the church. Uh, instead of roller derby where I've got to be first, whatever it takes, he said, here's how I want you to do it. First off, everybody follow me. And, and then help the ones who are struggling to stand up. And in fact, instead of trying to always be at the front of the pack, well, the first should be last. Let, let the weaker ones, let the slower ones go ahead. Watch out for each other, love each other. And whatever you do, keep skating because it's all skate. So if Jesus called all skate, why is it that so many Christians settle for the snack bar. You know, every skating rink had a snack bar, right? I mean, skating is hard work, and you need a place to sit down sometimes and discuss something cold to drink, and there's nothing wrong with rest. It's important, right? I mean, when God started creation, one of the first things he did was he instituted a day of rest for Sabbath. Uh, this year, you all gave Burnett and I the chance to enjoy a sabbatical, and, and it was wonderful. It was refreshing. Um, but thinking back to those old roller skating days, you know, there were those folks who just always stayed in the snack bar. You know, they, they had skates on, but they never skated. Uh, they'd been given what they needed, they just didn't do it. They liked hanging out with the skaters. They even liked looking like a skater. They just didn't skate. So why do people stay in the snack bar when the real action, the, the reason that they're wearing the funny skates, is happening out on the rink? Well, there's a few reasons I can think of why that happened. One, some people just weren't sure what to do. They, they'd never learned. They'd never had anyone teach them. And that happens in churches, too, sometimes. Someone's here, and they're like, I would like to get involved. I'd like to be part of the life of this body, but I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be part of the action. Or sometimes people stayed in the snack bar because they'd had a bad experience in the past. 
They had tried skating and somebody ran into them. Somebody pushed them down. Somebody skated over their fingers and they decided, you know what? That just hurt too much. I still like what this whole skating idea is about, but I'm not going to get myself involved again. I'm not ever going to get hurt again. Or some people have just gotten comfortable in the snack bar. It's just so much easier to watch other people skate. Okay, so you're probably wondering if I have any scripture to back up this rather overused metaphor. <laughs> I do. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to break that down and look at some of the key truths that I think apply to this idea of living life in the church, why the church is important. He starts off there by saying, um, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, I don't know what your experience of roller skating was like, but my experience included a lot of wavering. I was never a great skater. And so I was always looking for something or someone to hold on to, you know, something that can help prop me up and keep me steady. And Hebrews says when it comes to faith, we do need something, someone to hold on to as well. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What's he talking about there? When, when we hear the word confession, most of us have this idea of admitting to something I did wrong, right? If I'm going to confess something, that's usually how I'm thinking of it. I, I messed up and I'm going to have to go and own up to what I did. But that's not the idea of this. This idea of confession is speaking out, being consistent with, holding on to what you believe in the core of your heart. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So there's that idea of confessing, of saying aloud and taking hold firmly in your heart of the things that you believe. The early Christians that Paul was writing to were people who certainly faced a lot of hard times. They faced a lot of persecution, and yet they were known as people of hope. Because there are people who believed in something, someone who is greater and more dependable than their circumstances. That's who they were holding on to. They were holding on to Jesus. And Hebrews says, keep holding on. You know, there are trials that I think God allows into all of our lives that can shake us to the very core. Those kinds of things that some people call the dark night of the soul. You ever been there? I, I've spent a little time in the dark night of the soul. I've spent probably more time in that dark night than I would have ever cared to. You know, there's a story of Jesus and his disciples that has always spoken to me, though. It comes out of John chapter 6. And, and leading up to this story, uh, we find that Jesus had gotten really popular. 
Crowds were gathering. They were intrigued by his teaching. They loved to see his miracles. But then Jesus began to say some things that were kind of hard for them to stomach. They, they didn't really like where it was going. And suddenly the crowds began leaving. In fact, a lot of people started leaving. So many people were leaving, in fact, that Jesus finally says this to his closest disciples. Do you want to go away as well? I mean, everybody else is. Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you hear Peter making his confession? He says, I, I've, I've had experiences with you, Lord. I've listened to your teaching. And I've concluded that you are the one to hold on to. Now, Peter doesn't say right here that um, he understood everything Jesus was talking about right at that moment. I, I think Peter has some questions himself. And we know that things were going to get a lot worse, right? There'd be that night that Peter actually denied even knew Jesus because things had become so grim and he was so frightened and his faith seemed like maybe it was all for naught. And in the core of his being, Peter confesses. Jesus says, do you want to go somewhere else? Peter looks around and says, where would I go? You're the one who has the words of life. And I've been in those places. I, I, I can remember times wobbling on my skates and feeling out of control. But the core of my being say, Lord, I know that you are the one. And whether I understand it right now or not, I'm holding on to you. Sometimes when we are feeling out of control, we start grabbing at the wrong stuff. We go careening through life, grabbing onto one relationship after another, hoping that this person or that person or this achievement or this identity or something is going to give me the stability that I long for, only to find out time and again that the thing that we grabbed onto, the person that we thought was going to be our salvation, is just as bad a skater as we are. And they can't hold us up either. And so I've come to that same conclusion as Peter, that when all is said and done, Jesus is the only one you can hold on to who won't ever fall down. As Hebrews says, he who promised is faithful. One of the ways that we keep that focus in our skating is by skating together. Sometimes we need someone else to skate alongside and, and just help remind us and, and, and help steady us. We can't depend on them, but we can certainly help each other. Hebrews 10.24, he says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You know, we've had those experiences in the rink where you just need someone to kind of come alongside and, and stir you up a little bit. Maybe you just couldn't get out there on the floor. You were intimidated. You weren't sure what to do. And it was someone who came alongside and said, come on, let's go. Let's get out there. They stirred you up. Or once you got out there, you got a little wobbly and someone came along to help steady you. Or, or you just had fallen flat and you totally wiped out. 
And, and I can remember times, you know, two or three people all wiping out together and legs and skates and everything are all tangled up and you needed someone to stop and just help you kind of sort it out to get started again. That's part of the church. We help stir each other up. We help each other to keep moving and following the one that we say we want to love. We encourage each other. We help each other to be the things that God has called us to be. Sometimes I'll have a person come up to me that is leading a ministry team and they'll say, you know, we really need some help in this particular ministry. So I wonder if you could just make an announcement on a Sunday morning and let folks know that we need some help and then that will get the, the volunteers we need. And, uh, and we do announcements. You hear those on a regular basis. But I often tell those people, I say, you know what's going to work a lot better? What's going to work a lot better is if you decide on some people that you think would really be helpful and then um, go ask them directly. Invite them to come and be involved in your ministry. And what they find is, yeah, that's, that's usually what works. The, the big Sunday morning announcement often doesn't really help all that much. And, and why is that? Well, for one thing, we all hear the announcements, but we're pretty sure that with this many people, somebody else must be taking care of it. It's not until someone looks at us directly and says, really, I could use your help. We go, oh, you, you do mean me. You, you really need me to help with this. Uh, or we get distracted. We didn't really hear what the need was. Or we feel intimidated because we've never done it before. And we're not even sure who this person is that needs the help. And, and so we just don't do anything. Or, or sometimes you're just... Um, Oh, what's the word? Uh, when, you're, when you're comfortable uh, where you're at, but you don't want to do anything, the... Um, inertia. Inertia. What's the other word? Late. Okay, you said that, not me. <laughs> Sometimes that's it, isn't it? I'm sure somebody else will take care of that because I don't want to be bothered. But, but seriously, most of us need someone to look at us and stir us up. Say, come on, I want you to skate with me. That's stirring one another up to love and good deeds. Uh, there's another component to this, and that is, he says, he says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. Here's this idea that part of what makes the church work, part of what God wants from us, is that we get together as a group. Now, we all know that during COVID, there were some who kind of ripped this verse out of context and maintained that it was some kind of an ironclad biblical law that no matter what, Christians had to get together in large groups. You have viral pneumonia, not a problem. You need to sit close together because this verse says you have to. Hurricane Ian is coming. Don't bother sandbagging your house. You have to go to church right now because this verse says so. Now, we know that that's not what this is talking about. What it is talking about, though, I think is a bigger problem that we can struggle with. And that is having kind of a, a laissez-faire attitude, a mindset toward gathering with God's people on a regular basis. Here's what happens. We get to a, a Sunday and we think to ourselves, well, should I go to church or is there anything better I could do today? Right? For some people, church becomes kind of the thing to do when you can't think of anything else. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, this is an important part of our walk together as Christians, that we come together. I get it. During the pandemic, 
we, we all got used to staying home. Uh, for a while, I was pre-recording the sermons. Okay, this is a, a very weird phase because live streaming wasn't working so good. And so we would pre-record the sermon and then we'd play it on Sunday morning, which meant that Burnett and I had some rather odd Sunday mornings, at least for a pastor. Whereas a nice summer day, we were literally sitting on our hammock in the backyard watching ourselves leading in a service, which is strange. But it was really comfortable. And I could see how you could get stuck there. But you know, there was something that was missing. You know, you guys were missing. The relationship was missing. And trust me, it's way better preaching to all of you live than it is to a teleprompter. But, but we need each other. And there's something that happens by coming together that doesn't happen when you're apart. Even if you only get a chance to talk for a few minutes, just the fact that others are here with you it helps to focus and encourage our faith. It's a reminder that we're not alone. And, and it's this opportunity that God gives us to connect with people that we might not have connected with otherwise. You know, you're sitting there, you just see someone. And, and it looks like maybe they've had a rough week. And you just go over and you say, hey, how are you doing? And it never would have happened if you hadn't both been in the same room. But because you're there, you have that connection. You can sing by yourself watching TV, but it is way better and probably sounds way better, all of us together. But it's not just the big meetings that are important, is it? I mean, most, if not all the early churches mentioned in the New Testament were house churches. They were small gatherings. And, and I've had people share with me that when they've come to DCC, it's been a little overwhelming because they've never been in a large church. Now, just for the record, we're not really a large church, all right? We're actually a fairly small church. If you want to go to a large church, Burnett and I had a chance to visit Saddleback Church in Southern California years ago. Average Sunday morning attendance is 23,000 people. Their main auditorium seats 3,500. Okay, that's a big church. Okay, in fact, so big. This is my favorite bit of trivia from that visit. They have an official traffic light with a dedicated left turn signal in the church parking lot. That's how much traffic there is. That's a big church. However, whether it is 23,000 or just a few hundred, for real community to happen, you need more than just the large gathering on a Sunday morning. When I talk to our newcomers at our newcomer lunches, I tell folks if they want to really be connected into the fellowship, into the life of DCC, there are three things at least they need to do. The first is they need to become part of the large group. And by that, I just mean the Sunday morning worship. Uh, be here, be with the big group, be with that worship experience, the teaching experience, make it a habit of your life. Um, Live streaming is, is probably here to stay. And, and I had some misgivings about it pre-COVID, but I've really come to appreciate what live streaming has allowed us to do. There are a number of people who have health issues, reasons that it has been a tremendous blessing to them to be able to stay home and join us via our live stream. We've got missionaries, global workers overseas who I know watch our services and it's encouragement to them. Uh, there are people, some of you, that the way you kind of checked out DCC before you showed up here in person was you watched it online some. 
which is kind of a different thing in the life of the church. It used to be that when a person walked in the door of a church the first time, you greeted them, they're saying, yeah, I'm just new here, we're kind of checking it out. Now I meet them and they say, oh yeah, we're new here, but we've been watching you for the last two months. But that's great, it's a great way for people to learn about your fellowship at, a, at one level. And, and we value everyone who joins us online. We actually have someone that, I think Lance is back there right now, he is manning it online. If someone had a prayer need or had something to talk about, he can meet with them online, which is a wonderful thing. But let me just say that if your situation, and I'll talk to the live stream folks for a minute, if, if your situation doesn't demand staying remote, I'd really encourage you to come and be in person because there's a different dynamic of all of us being here. So, if you can skate, I think you should skate. So come on down, the rink is open. <laughs> the other thing that we do is we say, be involved in the big group, but then also you need to be involved in the small group. I already talked about that a little bit, and if you've been participating in the Rooted series these past few weeks, you know what I'm talking about. You've been meeting with a smaller group every week and building a deeper, different kind of relationship, a different kind of community. And I'd say if you've been attending DCC and you just don't feel you've really gotten connected yet, it's probably because you haven't got connected to a small group and you should do that. And there's all kinds of different groups and different shapes. Some of our groups really focus on Bible study together. We've got other groups that focus on serving together. Uh, a fun one is our card making ministry. And, and these folks take their artistic talents and use it to bless all of us with the cards that they make. But I also know there's a lot more that happens there than just making cards. These are people who are caring for each other, praying for each other. There's real community being built there. Some groups share a common interest, like our surf ministry. Those guys do Bible study together, but the thing that kind of got them together to begin with was their love of surfing. Or we have groups that address particular needs, like Celebrate Recovery or Grief Share. People who recognize that they've got common areas of need in their life, common areas of pain, and they come together to encourage and help each other. And so I just say that although Rooted is coming to an end, don't let it be the end of your involvement in small groups. If you aren't in a group, or if you feel you need a different kind of group, talk to Pastor Lance. He'll help you get hooked up in a group that will help meet your need and get you connected. A third thing that I tell newcomers is that they need to be part of a large group, get involved in a small group, and then find a place to serve. Over the course of the Rooted series, we talked about finding purpose and putting our gifts to work, that God has given all of his gifts so that we can serve each other and serve together. And I am constantly amazed and grateful for all the ministries I see going on. It's what makes this church, to me, a wonderful place to be a part. And if you haven't found a place to serve yet, talk to us, talk to myself, talk to Lance, talk to Pastor Britt, and say, okay, I wanna get involved, I'm just not sure where or how. And, and we'll help you find a place where you can plug in and be involved in serving. You may see an opportunity that we haven't even seen yet. Some of our best ministries have come out of ideas that some of you have come forward with and said, hey, could we do this? And it's met real need. One more thing Hebrew tells us should be happening at church. He says we should be encouraging one another. 
You know, you are surrounded by people right now who need encouragement. Maybe you're the person who needs encouragement. And that's one of the things that we best do when we're together. Some of you have gone through real loss this last year, and, and you're dealing with grief. And it's not that anyone else can make that go away, but just to have someone come alongside that you know cares for you, puts an arm around you, offers to pray for you, makes a difference. We've got young parents who haven't had a good night's sleep in a long time. We've got some caregivers who are in the same place. They need some encouragement because the journey has been long and it's been hard and it's been demanding. We've got parents who have teens. We have teens who have parents. They need some encouragement. We've got husbands and wives that have struggles in their family. Some of you have got chronic health issues that, that just seem to go on and on. If you want to encourage someone, I guarantee you, you can find someone this morning that you could encourage. Stick around some after the service. Don't try to be the first one out of the parking lot. Talk to some people. Talk to somebody you haven't talked to before. And one of the things I love is as people start talking, if you hear someone has a need or you can tell they're hurting, just take a minute right then and there to say, can I pray for you? Doesn't have to be long, doesn't have to be eloquent. But can you imagine how beautiful this is in God's eyes to see people taking time to listen to each other, to greet each other, to encourage each other, and then to pray for each other. The church is important. Hebrews reminds us of some of these key reasons why being engaged in the church is important. To hold fast to our confession, to hold fast to Jesus, to be stirred up for service, that it's something we give priority to, not some place to go if there's nothing better planned, but a spiritual family that we intentionally, regularly make time for. That's where we come in big groups and small to encourage each other. It's one of the ways that we get rooted spiritually. Now, there is one huge problem with my roller skating metaphor. You may have a list of other problems, but there's one for sure. At the end of the evening, you would go home happy and tired, but if you really thought about what you'd been doing, you would realize that you hadn't gone anywhere. You had just gone in circles. And that is not what Jesus has called us to do. When the church is really being the church, we are not just going in circles. We are helping each other on the journey home, and we're inviting others to join us. So I want to encourage you to put the kind of priority on the church that God puts on the church, and uh, to get out of the snack bar, and to get into the rink, because it is all skate.